Welcome to the Transformation Leaders Podcast. I'm Tony Lockwood and I'm delighted that you could join me on this latest episode. Each episode takes the form of a discussion with a leader who openly shares their experiences of leading organisations through the transformation journey. Today I'm joined on the virtual sofa by Sean Taylor, a transformation leader that has a rich history of delivering significant global programmes. During this episode, he shares many examples that support his belief that transformation needn't be complex or stressful. Let's get right into it now. Well, hi, Sean. Um, Thank you um, for joining us today. Uh, Welcome to the Transformation Leaders podcast. It's great to have you here. Uh, Let's start, as we always do, by introducing yourself, uh, letting the listeners know a little bit about your background and answering that question about how you first moved into the world of change and transformation. Cool. Well, first, thank you for inviting me, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I started my career in in project management, Um, quickly discovered a talent to recover failing projects and programs. Uh, And ultimately, this took me into both the chief information officer and chief transformation officer roles. And more more recently, I pivoted into uh, the chief operating officer seat. Um, I quickly got involved in change uh, and change and transformation uh, at a really early stage in my career. Um, and I realized it was something that I had, you know, I had a passion for, something I enjoyed, something you could actually see and make a difference in. You know, over the last decade, I've been working as an interim. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in over 30 countries um, and delivering significant value and transformational change into those countries. Um, working across, again, a diverse sector of uh, industries from telco to insurance, business, software, advertising, agrochemical manufacturing through the rare space. Um, one of the interesting programs was actually in the business software space where I implemented an ERP company's own ERP system internally for them as part of a, a recovery program. Um, so, yeah, I've got to do some great things. Managed to spend a year living in uh, in Jamaica, living in Kingston, um, where I ultimately met my wife. So, you know, good things come out of our nomadic lifestyles as well. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I think we could probably fill a whole episode talking about your experiences in Jamaica, but let's not go there. <laughs> um, the first question that we always ask. Um, so again, so we get the context of um, the rest of the uh, the rest of the session. Um, is to get an understanding of what, how you define transformation, because it's so many different things to so many different people. It is, and I think it's one of those words that gets routinely misused. You know, people readily say they've delivered multiple transformations, but the key is to understand what the difference is between transformation and change. Yeah. And to me, change management is about the delivery of a set of defined initiatives in a functional setting. Whereas transformation is, is a wider set of cross-functional transformation themes that deliver structural change. It, they redesign the operating model. They drive digitalization uh, to create create differentiators and, and leverage new growth models. You know, transformation is organizational-wide. It is not you know, a, a functional change point. Yeah. Yeah, that, it, it's an interesting perspective. Uh, a lot of people talk about size uh, and, 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 and complexity, but I think it, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be long. It doesn't necessarily need to be that complex, but by definition, if it's covering multiple 
functions, it, as you say, it, 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 can, it, it can lead to transformational outcomes, can't it? So. Yeah, it, it, to me, it's about you know, how you go about improving the business through a focused set of transformation themes. Um, it's about delivering sustainable and breakthrough performance that, now, that ultimately enables you to outperform, outperform the competition. Um, what it's not about is just a ruthless cost-cutting or structural change that uh, is often done in a way that actually the cost and the change point just washes back into the business. Um, you know, the, this is why I think getting an understanding of what transformation means and differentiating it between change and transformation is so critical. Yes. And I find that that's, although we talk about it on the podcast a lot and have many different variations, um, I find it's, it's important when you're going into an organisation for the first, very first time to get alignment across the senior team, the exec team, about that definition because you know often you find that the chief exec might be expecting one thing and the chief operating officer or CTO is, is expecting something different from that word transformation is that is that yeah. is that what you find as well no I completely agree and I, and I think um, what often the limit is is a, a belief in performance and the chief exec has a strategy has a vision and, and it's re- the responsibility of his exec team to execute on that strategy but a lot of the time, people, people believe there's a limit on performance. And in truth, there's no absolute limit on performance. And one of the analogies I like to use is, is Roger Bannister. You know, if you look at back in 1954, no one believed a four-minute mile was possible. Mm. You know, then in 1954, you know, Roger Bannister and I think Lord Landry, John Landry, actually then improved upon that time in 1954. You know, now, you know, Majority of runners can do an under four minute mile. Yes, I think, um, I, I think it's about belief in the performance. Yeah, but it's interesting actually because I think if, if my memory serves me right, in 1955, over 100 people had broken the four minute mile. Yeah, because it's because because they completely banished that thought process. Yeah, it's that absolute performance limitation people have in their mindset, and it's one of the things that I think is a barrier to successful transformation because. People talk themselves out of the change. And you know, the, the culture defeats transformation every time. And you know, one of the things that I like to do, uh, and I did it recently um, last year, uh, sadly within a team in Ukraine who are now unfortunately having some, some torrid times. But we, we took the team through a set of structured uh, exercises where you know, what does good look like? You know, where you know, let's cast forward to the future. We you know, we are a very successful small development software lab. You know, in three years' time, we're at Mobile World Congress and they're talking about the work we've done. What do we want people to say about us? You know, how do we and then how are we going to go about achieving that in, to get that outcome and actually getting that belief into people and making people believe what is possible is possible because when they believe it, they can do it. It's only when they don't believe it. You know, the, the limitations come around. Yeah, I think that's a great question, actually. What does good look like? Um, and when you've used that, I'm, I'm sure you get completely diverse reactions and responses because, again, it, it's, it's about their um, sphere of influence. It's about their experience. It's about how comfortable they are about moving outside of the comfort zones, isn't it? 
It is, and there's a, there's a lovely follow-up exercise I do with this, which is um, the, uh, you know, the good cafe, bad cafe. And the basic concept is that you, you split the group in half and you say to one group, right, if we royally screw this up, you know, what does bad look like? Yeah. If we smash this out of the park and get it right, what does good look like? You swap the groups over and you get them to do the same exercise. Then you actually take all the post-it pads they've written on, assemble them on a wall, and actually suddenly find you've, you've actually got a transformation plan. Because all of the information, that uh, rich information they provide, and they're not realizing they're given, actually then starts to shape your journey. Yeah, I've made a note of that. I think I will be using that one soon. <laughs> so on your LinkedIn profile, you, you, you say you have a track record of successful recovery and turnaround of failing programs and functions that, that delivered measurable results in terms of operational performance metrics and structured KPIs. I'm very interested in understanding those two aspects of that, the operational performance metrics and the structural KPIs, just to go a little bit deeper in, in terms of your experience on those. Yeah, so and if I take um, a cost transformation program I did for a, um, a telecommunications business, uh, that would be a good example of it. I, I came in, um, the program uh, had an objective of removing $120 million in year cost with a run rate of $250 million. Um, that was going to be achieved through a, a new target operating model and a number of underpinning initiatives that would, was identified where we, we had you know, opportunities to reduce cost. We also had a separate initiative to actually, as a, as a free cash flow initiative, which was around disposal of assets and realization of cash in order to come in and, and provide free cash flow. Um, one of, the, trans one of the, the real challenges within that business was that you know, we, we actually didn't have a way of accurately managing um, the, the cost as the costs were taken out of the business and actually underpinning and understanding how that was being underpinned in the PL. So I actually had my own CFO. Um, within my transformation office. Uh, and I tasked him with actually defining a model that allowed us to track, and we used the McKinsey Wave tool, so their, their gating process, yeah. um, to define what the financial outcomes and benefits were going to be. And we actually then tracked those in the PL. And each initiative, we were able to track actually at a PL level if that cost was genuinely coming out and then be able to track if that cost was washing back in. Um, so that's a good example of that. I mean, that program, again, it comes back to belief. That program you know, was 34 markets across the Caribbean, Latin America and, and Pacific Ocean. Um, and you know, one of the problems we had was that people didn't believe taking such a large sum of money out of the organization and actually you know, reducing headcount by 25% changing the spans of control, you know, delayering the organization was possible in such a short space of time. Mm. And, you know, we actually took them through the, the journey. Um, we pulled back the, um, the underperformance. We proved structurally that the uh, program was delivering. We actually had that independently ordered and validated as well. And, in fact, at the end of it, we over-delivered uh, we delivered to 128 million or so um, with the targeted run rate. But the real key was to be able to, to use uh, my CFO 
to, to really validate the market returns and to understand the PL impacts and to validate that PL impact to, to make sure they were real goals. Yeah. And, and I think that's 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 the critical part of this, isn't it? Because all too often the the transformation agenda is there to deliver some financial benefits, whether it's cost out or revenue generating, whatever it is. Yeah. But the mechanics of measuring and tracking those are really quite weak in many cases. So you, you, you get to the end of the process or the program and you've delivered the new um, uh, the business model or target operating model or whatever it is. But can you actually ever go back and definitively say, yeah, that business case that we said we're going to deliver X revenue increase or X cost out, can we put a tick against it? And all too often, it's it's pretty it's, difficult to put a tick against it. It, it is, and but that comes down to the construct of the transformation. Yeah. And you know, the transformation office is a is a is a control tower. The transformation role, the role of the transformation office, is to keep the rhythm and the tempo of the program going. It's there to make sure that. It's, a, it's guiding the initiatives. It's there to show how what good looks like. It's there to communicate progress and change, but also to be a control function where you can hold people to account and proactively. And you know, week, on a weekly basis, I actually had each of my transformational work streams in front of me with their team, with my team, going through their progress. And we were looking at both the hard and soft measures and you know, I was fortunate. I had a team that was well resourced, and you know, we we actually managed to to be very effective. Unfortunately, too many transformation offices offices are under are underfunded. They they are not a control tower. They're an admin function. Uh, they're there to do the planning and to take the notes and to do the progress reports. You know, successful integration management offices and transformation offices are well funded, well staffed. And they actually have the, the critical roles assigned to real people yeah. um, who actually make sure performance of execution. Yeah, yeah and I think that, that's the key differentiation, isn't it? It's, it's, it's those, those that are um, begging and borrowing resource from operational teams don't have that rigour in place to be able no. to monitor it. And, and all too often find is, is that, um, and, and I was coming back to your point about KPIs, is that the transformation is driving a, re, a revised K, what will what will ultimately result in a, in a revised set of KPIs, but the operational teams are still being measured against the old ones, and yeah. there's this sort of you know diversity of, of, of we want to go on one path, but actually everyone's being measured on something that's that's old style and going down a different path, and, and that can create so many barriers. Agree, and that's why, to me, actually having a good financial analyst and a senior financial leader in my transformation office is so critical because you know, um, we've all got unique skills. Their skills are making sure that the business is actually delivering on the financial performance it's looking for from the transformation, whereas my role is to actually make sure that the, those charged with each of the transformation things are executing on their performance. So you know, that validation, so... you know, as a transformation leader, I can actually help them get into the into the detail and support them in execution, while my uh, finance team are actually making sure that we're delivering our financial numbers as well. 
Okay, so we, we, we've about um, your role in setting that up and in, 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 in putting that sort of financial control piece in. What other uh, aspects do you find is an absolute necessity to ensure the momentum of the transformation is, is, is you know, created and, and, and delivered as, as, as you go through? Yeah. So well, sometimes can be multi, multi-year initiatives. It, it can be. And, you know, that's why I'm a firm believer of a an IMO stroke TO style um, office. Um, you, know, you use a burning platform to shape the, the agenda. You know, what is the what is the CEO's agenda? How is he looking to drive change? What is the outcome he's looking for? You know, how can we define those outcomes? You know, is that a you know uh, an increase in NPS? You know, um, is that a Bedar improvement process? Is that you know, a reinvestment measure. You know, what 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 are those measures and defining them? Then understanding the transformation agenda and making it real. You know, what's the planning? You know, what's the reality check? What's the performance? What's the timing? You know, what's the method of holding people to account? You know, you you've got to have a regular a, a rigor of process around you know people being held to account for their progress. You know, and it, it's a it's a rhythm. And you know, the rhythm I get into is that right, Tony. Last week, you said you'd have achieved A, B, C, and D. Right. What have we achieved? What have we missed? What have we put um, and what have we got to do? You know, yeah. and, and actually having that conversation on a weekly basis to keep that rhythm of delivery going. Because if it's not weekly and you rely on monthly, well, you know, you're always four weeks behind a problem. And, yeah. and bad news travels far slower than good news. So you know, the, the chances are you're eight weeks behind a problem, not, <laughs> not four. Sure. True. Um, you know, the to me, what are the strategic indicators? You know, um, what are we looking for from the change? And especially when it's cross-functional. You know, it's are we measuring the number of people out the door? Are we measuring the performance of an um, of a transition from an in-source to an outsource model? You know, are we looking for a consolidation of, of platforms, meaning you know, one of the programs I ran, uh, I said earlier on, was a, um, an ERP house uh, implementing their own ERP solution globally. Um, we were doing that with a coterminous uh, deployment of BPO. So as we were rolling out into a market, a, a new ERP platform, we were also rolling out the BPO. And you know, you've got to understand the, the process of doing that and you know, support the business because the business wants to go fast. But sometimes you need to help them to go slow to go fast because yeah. you know, we want to move everything to the BPO. We want to be able to get the savings by releasing the headcount. But you've got this transitional piece where you've actually got a phase in the capability of the BPO and, and streaming on the new platform and then phase out the old internal capability. And so you can then safely transition and, you know, I've seen organizations where, you know, one example, um, the, the organization started having um, its credit um, ratings uh, reduced in yeah. one market because it was a state-controlled credit score. And because the transition into the BPO and the new ERP platform was flawed, invoices were getting missed. They weren't being sent to the outsourcer. Suppliers weren't getting paid. And this, this company was doing nothing wrong and it wasn't avoiding paying its debts. It's just that there was a process breakdown because 
they went too fast and too aggressively at the transition with no one actually making sure that there was, you know, we were doing the job correctly, we weren't breaking in performance. Yeah. And they almost gained disqualified from government contracts um, as a consequence of that. So, you know, to me, it's all about that, that control point and actually helping the business not fall over itself and, and being able to capture, the, capture those issues and those mistakes before they become material. Yeah. It's almost a case of being able to take a helicopter view oversight on everything so you can see the big picture and how it all fits together but then be able to jump right into the detail when you need to, to pull out yeah. the relevant things to highlight it to the relevant person on the executive. No, exactly. And this is why you know, the, the, the transformation governance structure is so critical. And you know, the transformation board, so how often does the chief exec chair the transformation board? Uh, I mean, to me, it's a non-negotiable. If the, you know, I'm, I'm, I work hand in glove with the chief exec um, on the transformation, but when I'm having a transformation board, you know, I need the, the chief exec there, you know, holding people to account. So they see that they see him and I talking from the same script. So when I say something has to be done, they understand I'm talking with the same authority as if it was this chief exec. Because, yeah. you know, you in order to get this done, you need that devolved authority in order to, to execute on his transformation plan for him. No, agreed. Agreed. So this is, uh, uh, go on to a question now, and we, we, I know we've had a few conversations about this in the past, um, but there is this belief that as you go through any change, and certainly change uh, like transformation, it can be stressful for people um, because the first thought is, what is it, what's the impact upon me? And, and because of the uncertainty, that can create stress. But equally, it can be stressful for the people that are, are leading the programme. Um, when I when I said that to you uh, a few weeks ago, you you said no, it needs to be stressful. So just just explain a little bit about your experience of, of what you do to minimise stress within that, it, that that change in transformation process. Yeah, and I, I learned this, God, very early in my career. I had a um, I was doing a, a integration program, and there was some some very specialist software with only one chap who really truly understood it end to end. And he was he was closed off. He, he he was raising grievance procedures about how the grievance procedure was being um, <laughs> dealt with. Um, you know, he he'd gone from being a really high performer to a low performer uh, as a consequence because he'd been told that you know as a consequence of of the integration, his role would be disappearing from the business. And you know, I I took him to one side. Uh, and just you know, took him for a coffee because uh, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. And as the conversation unfolded, I, I realized that basically he was scared of the unknown. He'd been in this business from you know, an apprentice into a um, senior engineer. He knew no other business. And you know, what was really frightening him was the, 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 the next journey and the, the, level of un, the level of unknowns around that journey. So, yeah, I, I've learned to, to communicate and to over-communicate, perhaps, with people, you know, to, to, to talk people through the change, to get them to understand it. Um, and another example, um, I was talking to a group of um, junior staff when I was at Digicel, and Digicel uh, had a regional corporate jet. 
And the reason I had the regional corporate jet was that if you wanted to get from uh, Kingston to El Salvador or the French West Indies or something or other, you know, you'd have to go into Miami, get a, something from Miami, and, and it's a two-day journey. So it, it wasn't practical. So as a group, we, we would go around and onto the islands. Um, and they were saying, look, you know, you're taking all this cost out, but you, know, you, you, know, you jump on the corporate jet and go to New York for a board meeting or, or to one of the islands, and you've got all of that cost. And, and, then, and then I started explaining about you know, the efficiency of the, of the region for using it, but also about the secondary benefit. And you know, in the Caribbean, it, it's quite common for hurricanes to blow through and to really do devastation to an island. And that happened when I, in, during my tenure there. Now, our corporate jet, which people perceived as a luxury, was doing 10 takeoff and landings a day, dropping in disaster relief, you know, aid into these countries to help us to get the network back and to provide, you know, clothing, bedding, food, etc., for, for, the, for the population who genuinely needed help. And it wasn't until I explained that, you know, actually you, you may see you know, the, what you consider the, um, the un unpleasant side of it, which is that, you know, we're all bouncing around on this thing. But, you know, if you're in Martinique and a hurricane's just come through and your home has been pancaked, you know, seeing this plane land with all of this relief stuff on board is, is, a, is a real bonus of the market. And it's something which we use as a company to give back. Um, and but just explaining that to them, they, they went from being, oh, that's a corporate excess to, okay, understand why it's needed. And actually, God, I didn't realize that there was such a humanitarian element to it. And as a company, we can help so many people by doing this disaster. Relief. So, yeah, that's an extreme, extreme version. But yeah, uh, just being able to take people's fears, understand them and translate them and into a positive um, is, is essential in transformation. Yeah, I, I, it reminded me of a, a, a story many years ago about um, people get upset or confused, not confused, um, worried, stressed when they don't know what, what they don't know yep. and they start making it up. And, and, all, and all too often they make up things that are far worse than it's ever going to be. Yep. Um, and that's where that creates stress. So if you can, if you can alleviate that from day one by this is what's happening. We don't know the answers to this as yet, but we will do by this point. You're taking away that uncertainty, aren't you? And, and, I, I think the other and thing, replacing I mean, that uncertainty with a bit of certainty. Yeah, I completely agree. But I think the other thing as well is that there are certain difficult character sets you have in a business where people shy away from delivering that bad news to them. And you know, I've been in a situation several times where you know, we've told a chap he's leaving the company, but we haven't told him when. Yeah. And you know, we keep giving him projects, we keep leveraging his skills. Um, and he's getting more and more kind of disparaged and, and angry. Um, but people won't actually tell him what's going on because they're feared of the react fear of the reaction. And um, and people you know, it, give people enough information to make their own decisions to shape their journey and have the difficult conversations. Don't shy away, don't shy away from them. Um, yeah. and, and I think there's a real business case for doing that as well because you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had experiences with the programs you've been working on but where you don't uh, communicate openly people will make their own mind up 
and the good people will jump shit before they're getting pushed if they yeah. if they believe they're dangerous. And, and you're then left with people that actually you probably wouldn't choose to have, but then you can't do anything because you good people have left. It, it's something I always say: good people go first. Um, but the other thing as well is that you know we we live in a world where we talk about culture principles, um, but we then actually say the culture principles only apply to the new part of the operating model. You know, so, yeah, guys, you, know, you, you need to treat you know, the whole population with the same set of culture values and culture principles. And uh, it doesn't matter if they're being displaced or they're interim or they're short-term workers or they're permanent members of staff. You, know, you need to treat everybody equally and fairly. Um, you, know, you can't differentiate between the populations. Agreed, agreed. So, um... What are you, in, in terms of your team uh, and what you expect from your sort of team as you as you lead in a transformation, what are your sort of non-negotiables? What, what, what are the non-negotiable behaviours that you expect from that team? Uh, there's, 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 there's just simply one, which is be honest. Um, it, if, you know, and it, it's honesty to me is, is the foundation for it all because so many times people hide bad news. Um, and, you know, Often there's a fear of shooting the messenger. Um, you know, the, so I always create the psychological safety for people to be honest and transparent. Um, because the sooner I become aware of a problem, the sooner I can actually get ahead of it and, and address it. Uh, so to me, you know, the, it, it's, there's only one, which is about honesty and transparency. Because from there, everything else flows. Because if you create the, create the opportunity for people to have the psychological safety to share information with you, good and bad, performance flows. Brilliant. And the final question then, in terms of all your experience, if you, if you could boil it down to just one big takeaway, what would, what would that be? It, it's, a, it's about culture and change. Um, the Too many times I have seen the culture defeat transformation because people have not spent the time actually getting people to understand the change point, understanding what's in it for them, and understanding why the business needs to, to make this change. Um, and you know, you, the culture starts with the leadership team. And it's great. Every, and so many times I have this conversation around the exec table and say, guys, you know, it starts with us. We need to go away, get our act together, get on the same page, agree the strategy, talk with the same voice, and push that down. And you know, I get, oh no, we're all we're there, we already know it, we're fine. We need to do that with our teams. And in truth, you know, the exact team is not aligned. It, it, yeah. They need to be aligned, and the change starts within the exec team. And then once that change is effective, everybody's on the same script, the chief exec's happy, and we can stand behind and give the same message, the same elevator pitch and a different elevator on a different day. You know, then you know you've got a, a, the ability to transform that business. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Um, I know you touched on it earlier about the work that you did in Ukraine. And I know you're doing quite a lot of stuff to provide some support um, in, in, in these terrible times. Do you, do you want to spend a couple of minutes just explaining that and seeing whether or not other people might want to get involved? Yeah. Um, so I'm part of a, 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 one of the co-founders of... Um, TechLink of Ukraine, and that's a group of business leaders and technologists who are banded together 
in order to, to support those displaced by the conflict to find employment, to get access to money, to get access to transport and accommodation. So far, we've, we've managed to find over two dozen people uh, roles, um, predominantly in, in Ireland. Um, you know, what we find we need is the ability for people to be able to get equipment. Uh, you know, Telefonica are, are talking to us about supporting us in terms of providing accommodation. In if, uh, once they get here, if they want a place to work and connectivity, they can they will help us with accommodation. Um, but you know, they, they haven't got phones, they haven't got tablets, they haven't got laptops. You know, it's so. You know, I'm, I'm pushing Google and Amazon and people like that to actually help us with connectivity. Uh, I'm talking to the three UK uh, later in the week about supporting us and how they can operate. Um, and the same with, with Vodafone and Google. Um, because these people, they, they're getting to locations in Poland, etc. cetera. Um, but there's a, there's, there's a challenge getting the money. So you know, how do you get pre prepaid um, mobile money to them? If they haven't got a mobile phone, how will they access banking? You know, um, there's lots of challenges. So anybody who can help and come on board and support Techlink Ukraine, I'm, I'm gladly welcome. But it's you know we we're not short of willing employers. We're not short of people willing to come and, and to work. It's the infrastructure that will enable people who are displaced um, to come and come and work. Yeah, it's a sort of sorry. So, so I was just going to say, what, what's the best way that people can get in touch? Is there a website or is it just directly through, through yourself? Directly, directly through me. Um, and uh, there's some posting on my LinkedIn profile for the, for the other members. Brilliant. Um, but this is, this is um, it's been hit home to me. I mean, in November, I was sitting in Kiev having dinner with my team. Uh, yesterday, I found out that there's a, there's a number of um, guys who are now actually on the front line. You know, you know, back in November, you know, we were we were talking about you know the challenges of, of you know, building mobile solutions. Yeah. You know, these guys are now dodging bullets. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very imaginable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah very scary. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck on that. And if there's anything I can do to help them, thank then, you. Uh, you know, let, let, let's keep talking. But. Once again, thank you very much, Sean. It's a, it, was a, it was a great session, a great episode. And cool. um, yeah, let's keep talking. Thanks, Tony. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. That was a great episode. And I'm sure that our list, listeners will be able to apply many of the things we have covered into the programs that they are leading right now. Ultimately, this is the core purpose of this podcast to share proven approaches that can help you successfully deliver transformation within your organization. The Transformation Leaders Hub is a community focused exclusively on those operating within change and transformation. If you've not checked it out as yet, please do so today by clicking on the link in the show notes. I look forward to sharing another episode with you in a couple of weeks. Bye for now.